The story is told of two women living together in one house. These two women had made poor choices, it is true, and their choice of career especially, shall we say, was unenviable, certainly immoral, and perhaps illegal. As a result, they were both found with child, and in the course of time each mother delivered a son. The little ones were so close in age, only three days apart, and they, they resembled each, each other so much, they, you might have thought they could have been twins, although their mothers had no trouble telling them apart. That is until one night, when tragedy struck. You see, in this strange little family, poor as they were, both women shared a single bed, and every night each mother would bring her bundle of joy to snuggle closely under the covers with her. But one night, how it happened we'll never know, but one poor little boy never woke up. Poor thing, his mother didn't mean him any harm, but in her sleep she must have rolled on top of him and smothered him to death. She awoke in the night and felt that still cold body beneath hers, and her heart nearly stopped. Here, her bundle of joy, who had so recently come into her life and had promised her the greatest hopes of once again being accepted back into society. Here, her one and only true love lie dead in her arms. Just then, she heard the faint cry of another child coming from the side of her companion across the bed. In an instant, she knew what she would do. In an instant, this tender yet grieving mother became a cold-hearted thief, a kidnapper, she snatched up the living child and lay the dead corpse of her own son in the arms of her still-sleeping companion. When the morning light arose and her companion awoke, you can only imagine the events that might have unfolded. At first waking, her companion let out a shriek of terror, followed by a long look of disbelief. Here, her son lay dead. No, wait. This was not even her son. Her son was still alive in the arms of her former friend. Oh, the arguing. I can imagine the yelling and screaming and no doubt a few blows until both women ran to the king, young King Solomon to arbitrate their dispute. My child is the living one. You stole him during the night. No, I didn't. Your son is dead. His boy is mine. King Solomon looked on, incredulous. Clearly, each woman knew whose son was her own. But just as clearly, each woman would fight to the death to keep the living child. Guard, he commanded, bring me a sword. For once, both women stood still. All that could be heard was the cry of the little boy, clearly confused and upset by the commotion. Divide the living child in two, commanded the king. Give half to the one mother and half to the other. The guard lifted the sword and reached for the child. Suddenly, one mother let out a scream. No, give the child to her. Let her keep him. Just don't slay the child. The other woman didn't even flinch and almost smiled as she saw the guard reaching for the child. Very well. Don't let it be hers or mine, but divide it. 
Solomon knew the heart of a true mother. And at that moment, Solomon and his court all knew full well who was the true mother of that child. Never mind, said the king. Give the child to his mother. From that time on, the fame of the wisdom of King Solomon spread across the kingdom of Israel and around the known world. You see, in the heart of each one of us is a sense of justice, a sense of fairness. And we, we honor the, the cunning and the, the, the wisdom of Solomon in div- divining, you could say, between the two mothers, who was the true mother. It was only fair that the child should be given to his rightful mother. You know, we as human beings aren't the only ones who have this sense of fairness. You might uh, have seen the little video on the internet. They had, they took two monkeys, chimpanzees, I believe, but I could be mistaken. And they had them in a cage, two cages next to each other. They could see each other very well. And they had trained these monkeys to perform a simple task. I think they were supposed to pick up a rock and give it to the trainer. And in reward for this simple task, they were given a piece. The first monkey was given a piece of cucumber. Well, the monkey was very happy to get a piece of cucumber. He liked cucumber, all right. But then his companion was given a grape. Now, if you know anything about monkeys, monkeys love grapes. A whole lot more than they love cucumbers. And when monkey number two, number one saw that monkey number two had gotten a grape for doing the exact same thing, you should have seen at that temper tantrum. Maybe some of you have seen this video. The monkey full well knew that his friend there was getting far more for the deal than he had gotten. Life isn't fair, is it? And in this world, we have a lot of things that are unfair. We call it inequality, social injustice. And in in counteracting that, we, we try, we in the world, I should say, in the world, we try to counteract that by, by fighting for what we'd call social justice. You might call it leveling the playing field. How is it that some kids are born into a rich home when they go to elite schools and they have all the advantages of life and they have all the money that they could ever need and all the things that they could ever need as if it were handed to them on a silver platter. While other kids grow up in a home where they hardly have enough food to eat or clothes to wear, where their home, maybe the heat gets cut off in the wintertime and they suffer. And as a result of this suffering, For generations, these kids are disadvantaged their whole lives. And so, and not wrongly, we look at governments and social systems that we can put in place to, as it were, level the playing field. Because life isn't fair. A philosopher by the name of Adam Swift has done a great deal of study into social justice in particular, in family, family life, and how a family has a dramatic if impact, wait for it, on increasing social inequality. Who would have thought 
Those children who are raised in a loving family have tremendous and perhaps unfair advantages over those who aren't. The gap in social mobility and equality can last for generations. Swift made this observation. One way philosophers might think about solving this social injustice problem would be simply to abolish the family. If the family is this source of unfairness in society, then it looks plausible to think that if we abolished the family, there would be a more level playing field. All right, since not every kid can have a loving mom and dad, let's just take all the kids away from their parents and everyone would be equal that way. Well, of course, there's obvious problems with this solution. There's few people that would argue that society would be any better without any families. Although philosophers for centuries have considered such a solution. Swift concedes that children are far better left with their parents, despite the social injustice that results. It's interesting. You know what the biggest factor that he identified in his study was? More than children going to elite schools, more than perhaps anything else, you know the biggest determinant of the child's uh, social mobility, of an unfair social advantage, was whether or not the child was read a bedtime story before he went to bed. Well, that's a, that's a topic for another time, but I thought that was an interesting piece of trivia. You know, you get to think about it. Most of the people in this world, if we really wanted to be completely fair, most of this peop- the people on, are in this world are what we would say six feet under. So to be completely fair, if we were all dead, we'd all be equal. Right? Would it be to anyone's advantage? No. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> There's a difference between justice and fairness. Justice we see as objective. Fairness in many ways is subjective. Justice is based on the rule of law, based on the same law being applied fairly to all. I just used the word fair. It's hard to differentiate the two, but I'm, I'm trying to kind of differentiate them in your mind so you can kind of follow me here. Fairness is everything has to be equal. Everything has to be mutually agreeable. And we make rules, we make laws to enforce justice in a, in a In a sense, these laws try to make things fair. The world's solutions, perhaps they are good to a point. There's nothing wrong with enforcing certain laws that give everyone an equal opportunity to whether it's to gain an employment or to have certain expectations within society. But you see, the world's solutions cannot entirely fix our problems. For many years, and yes, for generations, our society has had laws to try to level the playing field. And yet, how much social injustice and inequality do do we still see, even here in the United States of America? You see, we can't fix the problem for several reasons. For one, you could argue that governments are inherently corrupt. Well, you could argue deeper than that because people are naturally selfish. Governments are operated by people. And, last but not least, life is not fair. I want us to turn to a parable 
in the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 20. Turn with me there if you have your Bibles. We'll spend just a minute, a few minutes, reading through this parable. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Now, when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And about the third hour, that would be about nine o'clock in the morning, about the third... Sorry, I lost my place here. And he went out again about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace and said to them, You also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right, I will give you. And so they went. And he went out about the sixth hour or noon, and about the ninth hour or three o'clock in the afternoon, and did likewise. And about the eleventh hour, now the eleventh hour in that day was about what we would call five o'clock in the afternoon, okay? So it's, it's almost quitting time. About the eleventh hour he went out and found others still standing idle in the marketplace and said, Why have you been standing here idle all day? And they said to him, Because no one hired us. And he said to them, You also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right, you will receive. And when evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his steward, Call the laborers and give them their wages, beginning with the last to the first. So you see what's going on here. Up to this, up to this point, the story seems fairly typical. The, the, the landowner, he's got a vineyard, he's got to harvest all these grapes, and so he goes and he hires people. He realizes he needs more people. He can't hire them. He didn't hire enough people, so he goes back and he, he keeps going back and he keeps going back, and he says, he says to the first group, he says, okay, I'm going to give you a denarius. It's about a, a day's wage. I'm going to give you a fair wage for the day, okay? And he agreed with him and the amount of money he's going to give them. The rest of them, as they were hired in the middle of the day, they, they already know, okay, it's 9 o'clock in the morning. It's 12 o'clock. It's 3 o'clock in the afternoon. I've already wasted half the day. But the landowner says, okay, we'll just settle up at the end of the day. Whatever is fair, I'll give you. So the story seems fairly typical up until this point. And when he came to those who were hired the 11th hour, they each received a denarius. That is, a full day's wage. Here, here's a full day's wage. I don't know what it was, $100, $20, whatever it was, back in that time. And when they had received it, they complained against the land. Oh, no, sorry. But when the first came, they supposed they would receive more. And they likewise received a denarius. And when they had received it, they complained against the landowner, saying, These last men have worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden in the heat of the day. But he answered them and said, Friend, I am doing you, your, doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give to these, this last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do that which I wish with my own things? Or is your eye evil because I am good? So the last will be first, and the first last. For many are called, but few are chosen. Wow. What is happening here? The, the landowner goes to the ones who had been there for one hour, and he gives them a full day's wage. 
Everyone receives a full day's wage. What? Is that fair? There's a sense of justice. And these men who had been there since 6 o'clock in the morning and had worked a 12-hour day said, this is not fair. They got what they had agreed to be paid. They agreed for a denarius. They got a denarius. Was that fair? Yeah. Except that these other guys, they've only been here one hour, and you gave them the same thing as me. There's three aspects of this parable that demonstrate the justice of God. You know, it's interesting. The householder doesn't simply go to the marketplace and dole out money. That would be kind of ridiculous. He seeks those who will labor with him, and he makes an agreement with them, a reward for their faithful service. His terms are just and reasonable. But you see, there's something about this landowner that the that the first workers there in the vineyard did not understand. You see, the word in the, in the King James English is long-suffering. He's very patient. He's very generous. And so as he continues to go back to the marketplace and hire others, he gives them the same opportunity that he gave to the first. All the way up to the 11th hour. He gives the workers the same opportunity. Come and labor in the vineyard. Finally, and most importantly, we see the grace of God in rewarding every man, not according to the time that he had worked, but according to the kindness and generosity of his heart. You know, we learn so much from this parable about God's character and about how it will play out in the final judgment in the final day of judgment, the day of reckoning. In this day of reckoning, those who remain faithful to Christ will not fail of receiving their reward. Now it is true, not all will be saved. If you read the parable, and we don't have time, in Matthew 21, 33-41, there's a, there's a story there of another vineyard, and the servant's treated the master, the owner of the vineyard, with disdain. They, they killed his servants. They killed his son and tried to take over the vineyard. Those servants received their just reward. They were not paid for their faithful service. But here in this parable, everyone who labored received the same reward. The householder argues, is it not my right to do whatever I wish with my own money? Have I shortchanged any of you? It's clear from his actions, though, that he rewards his laborers not according to how much they worked, but according to how kind and generous he is in his heart. I want to submit to you today, as Christina shared in the children's story, God is not fair. Not only that, but I'm so thankful that God is not fair. I'm so glad God is not fair because for one thing, life isn't fair. If God were fair, I fear that I and all of us here would have no hope. Like the two women 
who stood before King Solomon, we come to God with our life. Our life that is as good as dead. On that day, one of those sad, one of those mothers, sadly, went away disappointed, heartbroken, and empty-handed. Solomon's judgment was just. His judgment was fair. But when it comes to God's judgment, not only does he offer you justice, but he offers you and me something else, something unimaginable, an unfathomable grace. In exchange for our life, which is as good as dead, lost in trespasses and sins. In exchange for our death, he gives to us the life of his only son. How is that fair, friends? How is that fair to Jesus? For us to take the reward that was his. For him to take the punishment that was ours. Do you want to see what unfair, what fairness looks like, even in the face of gross injustice? Look at the crucifixion of Christ. As Jesus was led away to the cross, his only earthly possessions, literally, were the clothes on his back. And as Christ, the Son of God, the King of Heaven, hung there on the cross, he looked down on a very strange and troubling scene. He looked down and saw the soldiers, the very ones who had nailed him there to the cross, taking his garments and fairly dividing them among themselves. They tore them seam from seam, fairly and evenly, so that each soldier would have a piece of the clothes of the supposed criminal. And when they came to the piece that they could not tear, the tunic, they cast lots for it. Fairness. Perfect fairness in the face of the greatest injustice ever committed by mortal human beings, the crucifixion of the Son of God. Friends, I'm so glad that God is not fair. In, chapter, in Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, we read that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we know, of course, that the wages of sin is death. Romans 3.24, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness. Because in his forbearance, not fairness, but in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his fairness, no, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. You see, friends, the gospel isn't fair. It's the furthest thing from it. But praise God, I didn't have a fair deal. He took the raw end of the deal so that you and I could have his life. Friend, have you accepted his grace? Though you and I 
may not have known his grace until the very 11th hour. If we accept his gift, friends, we can be assured that we will not come up short. We will not fail of receiving our reward. Lord, we thank you for giving us the free gift of salvation. How can it be that you, my God, shouldst die for me? But Lord, we accept the gift humbly and contritely, and we claim the reward that was Christ's, which he offers to each one of us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.